Imagine if our water were to run out. This is the realization of what happens to a community that runs out of water. There's no way to survive. Is this our future? Imagine our wells drying up. I'm afraid that we may eventually run out of water here. And what if the fight for water turns into war? Some parts of the world are going to become unlivable because of rising heat. Here, the water crisis is a tale of never-ending misery. Water is disappearing everywhere. That suggests a huge global migration. Societies need water to survive. International conflicts will become inevitable. From a global perspective, humankind's approach to water is potentially lethal. Once politics is dictated by the fight for water, then God help us. We are used to having plenty of water. But that's changing thanks to the climate crisis. With water scarcity becoming an increasingly important issue, this series asks, what happens if we have no more water? Avila Beach is a picturesque resort town in Southern California with an old wooden pier stretching far out into the local bay. But appearances can be deceptive. As we're told by Pete Kelly from the local community services, this Pacific Coast paradise is facing disaster. It's a beautiful spot for sure, but it's also very dry now compared to what it usually is. I mean, after a wonderful rainy spring, it's so green around here, you wouldn't believe it. It looks like Ireland, but not this year. It's semi-desert. After years of drought, the land just behind the coast around Avila Beach is now eerily barren. We will be out of water, as will most places in California. And it's gonna get worse. I would just say, pray for rain. 300 kilometers up the coast in comparatively water-rich Northern California lies the town of Mendocino. I mean, I, I grew up here, this is home. I actually was a uh, firefighter and worked in EMS for about 15 years. So I'm not new to emergencies, I'm not new to protecting the community, but I am relatively new to water and wastewater management. And starting this career in the middle of one of the worst droughts in the last 100 years has presented quite a few challenges. Mendocino's location, perched on the cliffs overlooking the ocean, has made it a popular tourist destination. But these days, fresh water has to be trucked in. The ongoing drought is threatening to sink its key industry. We've been dependent on trucked water since at least January. And the real problem happened July 18th when Fort Bragg shut off the tap. Because every month we're more and more dependent on the trucked water. Everyone declared an emergency, but all of a sudden there was no more water available. That's when panic set in. An entire county now dependent on water brought in by trucks and subject to a drought state of emergency declared by the state governor in 2021, a nightmare for locals. When shop owners started calling me and restaurants saying, 
we have to lock our bathrooms to the public because we don't have enough water. This is a health and safety crisis. It's a human emergency. You know, you can't have people defecating on the street. All over town, restaurant and cafe owners have had to set up portable toilets. Water makes the world go around, and uh, in a first world country, the fact that we don't have, you know, continual access to it is, is difficult. And every day brings fresh uncertainty. We don't know. Uh, we go day by day. We, we have the risk uh, to, sometimes we can open the door because we don't have the water to run our business. Massimo Milani is originally from Italy. Like nearly all restaurant owners, his business cannot function without water. In his case, it's provided by the authorities, but it's rationed. The county gave us water, so this was the water we used for the customer. And so we give it to each customer one little barrel. And obviously, if they ask for more water, we give more water. Water never used to be in short supply here. So what is it like now, being left high and dry? It's an embarrassment. It's scary. And it makes you really reevaluate your life, where you live. Um, and it makes you think about things differently. You know, it's one thing not to have Wi-Fi everywhere you go. It's a whole other thing if you've got no water to drink. And 10,000 kilometers east of California in Germany, water shortages have become a problem as well. 2020 war das zweitwärmste Jahr in Deutschland. Wochenlang nichts als Sonne, hohe Temperaturen und kein Regen. Erneut rekordverdächtige Temperaturen. In some parts of Germany, searing temperatures have repeatedly strained supplies of drinking water as here in the town of Lauenau. This is the local water authority. Due to high levels of consumption, the local water supply levels remain critical. The supply of drinking water could occasionally be interrupted. The fire department will soon be distributing a final supply of service water in your area. We have seen critical situations in the dry summers of the last few years, but nothing like this year. In extreme situations like this, the local fire department provides people with water until the local supply can be restored. But why didn't those responsible anticipate the shortfall? An expert explains how a resource once taken for granted became a scarce commodity without anyone really noticing. Water is very much a vulnerable resource, in various ways. But in Germany, the days when we had abundant water supplies are gone too. And in some parts of northern Bavaria, there is a dire shortage of water. Here in Upper Franconia, one of the areas hardest hit by water scarcity in Germany, Regional water authorities monitor the groundwater level. Klaus Atzet is joined by Simon Preis from the Nuremberg Water Authority to conduct checks at a critical measuring site. Readings taken at key points like this will, they hope, reveal any hidden developments underground. As the probe is lowered into the ground, a light indicates when it hits groundwater. Simon Preis records the latest data. Four centimeters lower than last week and one and a half meters lower than last year. We've been measuring this site since 2012. Since then, the groundwater level has dropped by 13 meters. Hmm. 
We also monitor other measuring sites in Bavaria, and we've seen that groundwater levels are dropping and are taking longer to be replenished, if they're recovering at all. But what if groundwater levels continue to sink at this rate? There's no way we can make any medium or long-term predictions. If these lengthy dry periods persist, the groundwater level will continue to drop. As a large proportion of the drinking water in Bavaria comes from groundwater, then obviously there'll be less water available. And one result of the drop in groundwater levels is already visible at this well. It supplied 200 households with drinking water for over a century. This is the well house. Extending and renovating the well would be costly. Michael Belau from the Regional Environmental Agency monitors the facility. In 2020, we recorded record lows for groundwater levels. And you notice from the discharge that there's less water. And with those levels no longer sufficient, the well is set to be closed. While the population here in Teuschnitz is growing, the municipal wells and springs are yielding a dwindling supply of water. Christian Müller, head of the local utilities maintenance department, accompanies Klaus Arzett and Michael Belau to the community's last remaining well. Climate change has had a particularly bad impact in the dry years, 2013, 2015, 2018, 2019 and 2020. A situation that nobody here had expected to escalate as dramatically as it has. I can't remember us ever having had summers as dry as the ones we've had over the last five or ten years. And nobody here can remember a summer without any rain at all. And with the last well now also being shut down, Teuschnitz will need to look elsewhere for its water. Climate change means our wells no longer yield what we need. So we're now entirely dependent on a remote water supply. You've noticed a huge change in recent years, right? Yes, it's been brutal. I'm scared that one day the water here will run out. That a community like Teuschnitz no longer has its own water supply because its wells have dried up shows how dramatic the situation has become and how advanced climate change is now and how this is something we will have to adapt to in the future. One-third of Germany's drinking water is already supplied by long-distance pipelines. From the Mauthaus Dam, for instance, seen here under construction in the 1970s. The construction of dams causes massive damage to nature, which is why they were disapproved of for so long. But now they are the backbone of water supply in the likes of southern Germany. Without a long-distance water supply, big cities like Nuremberg or Würzburg could not survive. If it weren't for the dam, there's no way the water supply in this region could be guaranteed. 
A lot of communities and water companies depend on Mauthaus and on a long-distance supply because their own water sources can't always meet the needs of people and industry. The water from the dam is fed via pipelines to the Regional Water Association. At the control center, Director Markus Rau shows us the full extent of the long-distance water network in Bavaria. Global warming, he explains, also presents a growing challenge to companies like his. We had this rapid sequence of peak values in 2018, 2019, and 2020, peak temperatures and low precipitation, and it did surprise us. From here, the company pumps water as far as 140 kilometers. Without a long-distance supply, large parts of Bavaria would already be dry. There really are major water companies in Germany that, in terms of volume, are already at their limit. And they say this quite openly, not in Bavaria, but in neighboring Baden-Württemberg, for example. It's quite clear that at the moment, no more major lines can be built. Remote water supplies give those affected a sense of security. But what if surface water becomes scarce too? Professor Martin Grambo is a member of Germany's Joint Federal and Regional Working Group on Water Issues. He's spent years studying the availability of the resource in the country. Thirty years ago, no one believed that today Northern Europe could be facing a water shortage. If anything, just an occasional drought. But no one could have envisaged a scenario that would require such strong attention. A painful admission. But what does the future hold for us? We've now reached a point where we're starting to feel the impact of climate change and many other issues. People are extremely worried that there's worse to come. In some parts of Canada, the speed at which water scarcity is increasing has been completely underestimated. Jay Familietti is a hydrologist and the executive director of the Global Institute for Water Security at the University of Saskatchewan. He's also been a key figure in a joint research mission launched by NASA, the U.S. Space Agency, and DLR, its German counterpart. What we see here is an animation of how the GRACE mission works. There are two little satellites. Each one is about a meter tall, and they're separated by about 200 kilometers. They really work like a scale in the sky in that they respond to the mass of water on the ground. When a region is losing water, it exerts slightly less of a gravitational tug on the satellites, and they float a little bit higher in their orbits. So by keeping track of the ups and downs of these satellites, we can map out the regions around the world that are gaining and losing water mass, and we've been doing this for 20 years now. What might sound like science fiction is reality. 
The scientists have been recording massive water losses worldwide. They can forecast droughts and identify which regions are drying out, even before the effects are at all tangible. The GRACE mission shows, for instance, that the U.S. West Coast is drying up at an alarming and growing pace. Phoenix, Arizona, a city built in the desert. But with its abundance of green lawns, artificial lakes, and fountains, there's no indication that water might be scarce here. Phoenix is the fastest growing city in America and home to a booming high-tech sector. And that makes it a particularly big consumer of water. Phoenix's water comes from 450 kilometers away through a long-distance pipeline system that runs right through the desert from Lake Powell, one of the two biggest reservoirs in the U.S. In total, some 40 million people depend on this water. But the lake, which is filled by the Colorado River, is at its lowest ever level. A development predicted by Jay Familietti with the help of satellite data. So I was standing at the bottom of the new boat ramp. You can see that it no longer reaches. It just goes up to where these orange barriers are. So boats can't be put in the water over here. And if you take a look on Google Maps and at my position right now, you'll see that just a few years ago, I would be underwater right now. So this is where we're at. Once upon a time, Lake Powell was full to the brim as far as the eye could see. Originally, the reservoir was to protect the entire West Coast from the threat of water scarcity. That was the plan, at least. We have this interest uh, by the federal government in expanding and forming states uh, in, the western part of, in the western part of the territories. And so they commissioned John Wesley Powell to go out and explore the river. And he comes back with a recommendation that, you know, this is really a non-starter. It's really, really dry. Of course, you know, you could go big and, and really try something crazy and try to engineer the river and build giant reservoirs, but, but I really don't recommend that. I, I don't think that is sustainable in the long run. And what does the government do? Decides, go for the big reservoirs. And, and ironically, they named the reservoir after Powell himself, and that's what we know as Lake Powell today. What for decades was seen as a visionary idea for the settlement and future of America's western states has become their Achilles heel. It gives me uh, great, great concern. And I think it gives a lot of people great concern when they see just how far the level has dropped. Last time I was here, in about the same spot, was 30, 31, 32 years ago. And... Um, this wasn't an issue. We weren't thinking about this back then. We were just starting to think about climate change. There was no bathtub ring visible. So this is, you know, this is the future. This is the future for the Western United States. Will the water disappear completely? Is it only a matter of time? People here face a future with many unknown factors and also an immense challenge. From Lake Powell, the once mighty Colorado River flows through the Grand Canyon to the next desert metropolis, Las Vegas. America's Sin City is famed for its extravagant aquatic shows. Visitors are treated to spectacular fountains, artificial lakes, and even a Venetian-style hotel complete with singing gondoliers in the middle of the Mojave Desert. 
Las Vegas draws the water it needs from Lake Mead. Here, too, the water level is at its lowest point in the history of the reservoir, the biggest in America. This road was built as an extension to the boat ramp down to Lake Mead. Jay Faminietti has come here to meet scientist Kristen Averett, the state of Nevada's first climate policy coordinator. Hey, Kristen. Great Hi. to see you. Oh, goodness. Well, here we are. Pretty amazing. I know. Yeah. Pretty unbelievable. It actually really is. It's actually, yeah. it's really sad. So, I mean, it's pretty apparent. You can see where the water used to be up there, where, the, where you have that, that uh, pretty stunning bathtub ring, and you see that all around the lake. And uh, we would have been, you know, hundreds plus feet underwater right now if the lake yeah. was actually full, if we were where we're at. Yeah. I think it's also stunning to think about the fact that, you know what, this is just going to keep going down. I know. The odds of Lake Mead being full again, pretty much slim to none. I mean, this really is just climate change right in your face. And it's... Uh, it's pretty profound to look at and mm. come out and see. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, that's the new reality. I know. I know. And that's, that's pretty scary. <laughs> it is. Right? When you it think is. about that. So how could it come to this? It is a desert landscape. You yeah. know you live in the desert. Yeah. The thing is, everybody in the western U.S. needs to act like they live in the desert. I know. And they it's, don't. We see it all over the place. We're in Phoenix, and you know what it's like there. Oh, yeah. I mean, lots of green grass and golf courses and, and the sprinklers shooting great arcs into the air at midday. Exactly. Right? Exactly. I mean, it's all it's all crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, true. the only way we're going to sustain these desert cities is with really, really careful conservation and probably some new thinking about water management. A daunting challenge in terms of scale and complexity and the odds. Everything's just getting drier and drier, and we need more and more water. It increases uh, water demand. And then the other problem is the supply. I mean, if climate change and fixing it was easy, we would have done it already. It's, it's crazy. We are in a decades-long drought, a mega drought here in the Southwest. 19, 20 years of drought is what we've been experiencing. You know, and drought, I always think about that as being a temporary sort of situation. Really, this isn't just drought. This is aridification. This is, this is a permanent state moving forward for this part of the world. To keep its tourism industry buoyant, Las Vegas still gives the impression of being a city with plenty of water. Looks can be deceiving. We're really in a situation where we really need to make sure that everybody is conserving every drop of water possible. And for the residents of Las Vegas, years or decades of drought will force them to change their lifestyles. You know, 20 years ago in Southern Nevada, we had a lot of grass. Everybody had grass in their front yards, grass in their backyard. So our community came together and we implemented a lot of conservation programs. And one of those programs was an incentive program where we pay people to take out grass and replace it with drip irrigated landscaping. And what that has done is it has reduced our community's consumption of the Colorado River by 23% since 2002. Yet our community has grown by nearly 800,000 people during that same time. So we're serving more people with less water today, and we still have more conservation gains to make. To realize those gains, city authorities are now resorting to more aggressive solutions. 
such as an around-the-clock water patrol. Special investigators ensure compliance with the strict water use regulations. I work for the water waste enforcement team for the Las Vegas Valley Water District. So what my job is to do is to basically drive around the city of Las Vegas uh, and basically find uh, water waste violations. Um, those can range from anything to watering on an unassigned day, uh, any kind of malfunctions. When his team comes across a violation, like in this case, they issue a fine. So how it works is um, there's different kinds of violations that can occur. Um, so this was a day of week violation. So this yeah. is one of properties watering on a non-assigned day. The city of Las Vegas is divided into six separate groups. Right. Um, for as of now, A, C, and E waters Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. B, D, and F waters Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays. Ornamental lawns won't be banned until 2023, but most gardens and front yards have already been turned into gravel beds. I feel like what I do has a purpose. And I love living in Las Vegas. I love my community, and I feel like what I do helps um, all of us that live that live here. Um, so yeah, I really do enjoy doing my yeah, job. Yeah, it sounds like it must be very rewarding. It's really, really good. But regional approaches like the water patrol teams in Las Vegas are not really a solution to the problem. They're more a drop in the ocean. It is crazy, from a resource availability perspective, that we have these mega cities um, in the desert. I don't know. I think we probably prided ourselves on human ingenuity. Yes, we can do it. We can harness the, you know, the water from the Colorado River. So a lot of the growth happened with no knowledge of climate change and imperfect knowledge about um, water availability. So there are really, really tough times ahead for our desert cities. And let's let's face it, water is the lifeblood so, of these cities. And so I'm really concerned actually about their existence. And while water levels in the major reservoirs serving the west of the country have dropped alarmingly in recent years, there's another invisible development also emerging. What we don't see is what's happening underneath the ground. And that's the disappearance of groundwater. The groundwater is disappearing at seven times the rate at which this water in Lake Powell is disappearing. So what does the data from NASA satellites tell us about the surface and groundwater situation in California? This is a hugely agricultural region, produces food for the, for the world. It's home to 40 million people. And look over here. This is the Silicon Valley. This is the world's home of technological innovation. Technology is incredibly water intensive, and this region is running out of water. San Francisco, one of the world's major financial centers and the gateway to Silicon Valley. Valley Water is the Silicon Valley's most important water company. Today, it's inaugurating a new purification facility. purification center would allow for Valley Water to provide at least 10 million gallons per day. 
a high-tech answer to aridification. But will it be enough to quench the region's thirst? The water provider is placing its faith in innovation. My name's Gary Kremen. I'm an elected board member at Valley Water, and I'm on the Valley Water Board because I wanted to do some public service after a career in technology. A lot of people know me because I invented online dating. I started Match.com. Well, I actually want to mix online dating and water conservation to help people save water by finding the closest person to take a shower with. The board member gets an on-the-ground update from his colleague Chris Hakes on the situation at Anderson Reservoir, the biggest reservoir in the Silicon Valley. This community in general is actually all serviced through groundwater recharge by, by the Anderson Reservoir. Um, it's got about a 90,000 acre foot capacity, which is uh, enough to serve about 900,000, a million residents of Santa Clara County for about a year. Right now, it's down at 3,000 acre feet. It's extremely low, uh, and that is a, a critical juncture in our water supply. We are looking at extreme drought right now. The situation then is more critical than ever. So we are in a really interesting situation here. We have some of the largest companies in the world, like Google and Apple, all headquartered here. We have a pretty dense population of two million people, and what unifies them and what they all need is water. But unfortunately, we have to import our water from hundreds of miles away, because we used all our local water already. We've always had to import water. Okay, the problem we're having is there's no water to import anymore. Um, the state of California and the federal government where we would get it from, they're giving us zero. So there is a real possibility all we will get is health and safety water, which is a minimum amount of water for drinking and showering and that's it. But what if the water really does run out? and there's no longer enough for the people living and working here. There's a quote about whiskeys for drinking, but waters for fighting over. I think we're gonna have some epic fighting here, kind of an internal civil war over water. I don't wanna say it's threatening because I don't want people to panic, but I would be panicked. <laughs> Abram Lustgarten is an acclaimed researcher and writer about the impact of changing climate zones on people around the world. I mean, in terms of climate change, I think we're past the wake-up call. I, you know, I hate to say it. Uh, not to say that people have awoken to what the, those risks are. That's still happening. The crisis spots of the future, he believes, will be caused by the changing climatic conditions. For the past 6,000 years, humans on planet Earth have lived in a relatively narrow band of environmental conditions. Climate change is changing 
where those bands exist. It's pushing them northward and southward, but there's more land in the north. Um, and so we can expect as a result that human populations over some period of time will move with those bands just as they always have. Kabul, capital of Afghanistan, a country with a long history of battling aridity. And in recent years, the situation has become more severe with yet another protracted drought. Water now only flows from faucets in the wealthier parts of town. A precious luxury for a precious few. And a luxury made possible by water pumps in one of the city's suburbs, built with the help of technology and funding from Germany. Water is a major issue. Many wells and springs have lower water levels. They used to provide between 20 and 30,000 cubic meters. Today, they yield between 14 and 16,000, 20,000 at the very most. At any rate, the drought has meant our production decreased by 50 percent. Ensuring water flows through those taps in downtown Kabul means drawing groundwater from a poor district. The locals themselves have literally been left high and dry. This is a very dry region, and when there's no water, we give our children canisters to bring up water from lower down, up to three canisters per child. At the moment, there's no water at all. Areas that are lower down have wells, but now they've dried up as well. On good days, children are sent into town to fetch water. On bad days, there's no water at all. The problem in this region is that people have no access to clean water. That's the reason why last week, for example, 60% of the population were suffering from diarrhea-related illnesses. Ahmed Khan has been waiting for days for water to become available again. We have a lot of problems to cope with, but the shortage of drinking water is particularly bad. We only get water from the tap every 12 or 13 days, and even then, for no more than an hour or an hour and a half. Often there's none at all. Then I have to come down here to fetch some myself. There's simply not enough water for this region. How many people will fight for their water, and how many will simply move on? People are migrating already now as a result of, of climate change. They're migrating in the United States. They're migrating you know, out of North Africa. They're migrating in Europe. Um, we see that change. By 2070, as many as 3 billion people could find themselves living outside of this band of ideal environment. That suggests a huge global migration, likely to move mostly north, of very, very large numbers of people. 
When water supplies are insufficient, people move to where the water is, all over the world. And neither border fences nor the open seas can hold back people who are desperately in need. Peter Glick from the California-based Pacific Institute has been studying the historical background to conflicts and wars resulting from water scarcity. There's a long history of conflicts over water resources. One of the things that we do at the Pacific Institute is we maintain something called the water conflict chronology. It's a database of conflicts over water, violence over water, going back over 4,000 years to ancient Mesopotamia. But it's also true that in recent years, the number and types of conflicts over water have grown enormously. In recent memory, water scarcity was also among the factors that triggered the conflict in Syria, where a devastating drought led to rising prices for cereals. The result, war and widespread destruction. And there had been experts warning of precisely such conflicts, like Jay Familietti. We did a lot of work um, in the United States uh, at the federal level trying to raise awareness about what we saw. Before we published, we published a paper on this region in 2013. We started messaging on it about 2009, before the Arab Spring, before the Syrian unrest. We did not get a lot of attention. Scientists from the Grace Mission also raised the alarm back in 2009. They told Congress, gave a presentation in the White House, and sent their data to defense officials in the Pentagon. And how were their warnings received? It's incredibly frustrating. As a scientist who, um, first of all, is doing this work, so it's tough to sleep at night when you, when you look at this kind of work and you understand what it means and, and what the future holds. Um, and it's tough for someone like me who goes the extra mile to try to do the communication. Um, and then it becomes uh, exceptionally frustrating when you have an opportunity to have an audience in a place like the Pentagon or these high-level congressional committees, but um, to essentially be dismissed or ignored. But the Institute is still fighting. And for this documentary, Jay Familietti looked at the NASA mission's data for Germany with surprising results. We took a look at some of our most recent data, and we looked at a bit higher resolution over Germany. And what we see is that there is quite a strong signal for the disappearance of water. Um, this has been going on for, for two decades now, from 2002 up until the present. This is quite a concern to see all this red. In fact, we can take this map and average it up and do some analysis on it. And, and actually compute the overall trend for how much water Germany is actually losing. Water disappearing at a rate of 2.4 cubic kilometers per year, that means in 20 years that Germany has lost the volume of the Bodensee. Sea. The findings of the NASA mission had not yet been made public in Germany. Here, the Bavarian environment minister and a professor from the federal and state working group on water were seeing the data for the first time. 
Sadly, all this currently unpublished data supports the picture that, ultimately, we have a systemic deficit. What's particularly troublesome is that for a very long time everything seems fine, but when changes finally become tangible, it's already far too late. And that's why we get so worried when graphs like these confirm what our terrestrial measurements indicate. But a lot of people fail to understand and say, the water's still flowing. I then tell them that I can see into the future and that unless we take action at some point, water will stop flowing, but then it will be too late. It's important for everyone to understand that the water situation is of prime importance. Every state government needs to emphasize the challenge of water on its agenda. If I look at the first five issues, water has to be among the first five. Once politics is dictated by the fight for water, then God help us. Jay Familietti's journey through the western U.S. is coming to an end. His final stop, the Salton Sea. California's largest freshwater lake has been drying up for decades. This former vacation paradise has become a vivid warning of what water scarcity could soon mean for us. When I walk around this place, it really makes me sad to see the degradation, the real post-apocalyptic feel the real realization of what happens to a community that runs out of water. Um, there's no way to survive. Is this our future? Um, I think we really need to stand up and take notice. This could happen anywhere. Water is essential for life. If we don't have it, this could be our future. I think this is must-see viewing for our elected officials, for our decision makers. They need to know that in many parts of the world, this is the trajectory that we're on.